Hello, hello, hello. What's up, everybody? This is Supriya Mehra, your mortgage advisor, and you're listening to the Canadian Real Estate 101 podcast. More people than ever are building generational wealth through real estate. And on this show, I sit down with some of the top real estate agents, lawyers, accountants, and investors to discuss the ideas, the opportunities, and the strategies that they are taking advantage of so the rest of us can do the same. Hello, and thank you so much for joining me today for another episode of Canadian Real Estate 101 podcast. This is your host, Supriya Mehra, and hope you're doing fantastic. Many people think that the only way to invest in real estate is through buying a property, renting it out, or flipping it, or doing the poor strategy. But very few people know that you can actually invest in real estate through your registered funds account as well. Yes, you can use funds from RRSPs, TFSAs, RESPs, invest in real estate, and earn a healthy return without doing much other than lifting your finger and signing up the documents. In today's episode, Nicholas Connell from Equiton is with us. Equiton invests in multi-residential properties through apartment fund. Investors in the fund receive monthly distributions from rental income and capital appreciation from from the property value increase. Nicholas explains in this episode different types of opportunities as it is RSP season and uh, presenting you various options for your money to grow. If you'd want a white glove service, then please reach out to me at supriamehramortgages at gmail.com and I will directly connect you with Nicholas. So without further ado, let's get rolling. Hi, Nicholas. Thank you so much for joining me today at Canadian Real Estate 101 Podcast. How are you doing? Very good. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm uh, really excited to have you. I know we have had uh, conversations back and forth and uh, we had been in touch uh, for a few months now. And um, just um, now, finally, after going back and forth, we had the opportunity to finally record this uh, episode. I'm super excited to do that with you. Thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. So uh, before again, we dive into our topic, why don't you tell us about yourself, about um, Equiton as well, uh, what do you guys do, how are you involved with the company and so on? Okay, perfect. So my name is Nicholas Connell. I am an associate at Equiton Capital. And essentially here, we are a real estate investment firm. So we are a private company. So we're a fully integrated private equity real estate investment firm. Now, what does that really mean? We give access to investors to institutional grade real estate like multifamily apartments, you know, commercial and industrial properties, lending and loaning, as well as development without the hassle of having to be a landlord or go out there and to buy the assets yourself. So we have two investment funds that are structured as REITs, which are real estate investment trust. And really what that means is we go out there and we buy these assets, we own and operate them. You as an investor can invest passively within all these assets we own. So the one fund that we have is a pure play multifamily apartments, and that would be consisting of properties here in Ontario. So there's 30 here in Ontario, and then there's two in Edmonton, Alberta. Now that would actually provide you cash flow as well as appreciation on the buildings themselves. We also have an income and development fund, which consists of commercial properties, lending and loaning as well as development. That is also structured as a REIT. 
Our third investment option is strictly development, where you're essentially investing into one specific parcel, one project. And with development, we do everything from A to Z here in-house. So we do the property management, we do the acquisition, we also do the actual development. Once those projects are built and completed, you get a lump sum payout at the end. So each investment option is going to have its own strategy, its own rewards. And depending what you go into, there's some tax efficiencies, there's income and growth, or with development, you receive strictly growth. And again, for you as an investor, it's completely passive. And really, it's giving you access to things that a lot of people can't necessarily access on their own. Where if you want to go buy a multifamily apartment, they can range anywhere from $10 million to $80 million. Now, obviously, I'd love to be able to access that on my own, but it's not within the means of a lot of people. So really, this gives you access to those type of asset classes and then also being able to diversify your portfolio opposed to, you know, stocks and mutual funds where you experience high volatility, largely to do with public perception, the global macro factors, but also fear and greed, where the stock price is going to fluctuate on the daily versus with these investments. It's a lot more consistent, but with us being private, we're not trading on a stock exchange. So what that means is you have a minimum investment on one of the three funds. You also have a hold period. So with your public market holdings, you experience the volatility, but you have instant liquidity. Meaning if you want to buy a stock of Tesla today, you can hypothetically sell it within the same day for a loss or a gain. With these investments, you do have that hold period. You have the minimums. You also have to qualify per CRA guidelines. Now, for the qualifications, there's three types of investors across Canada per CRA guidelines. There's accredited, then there's eligible, then there's non-eligible. Not really a good name because you can still invest, but depending where you fall in within these qualifications would be a dollar amount you're limited to invest within a 12-month period. So if you'd like to, I can give you the criteria of each, just so obviously investors would know what are your limitations, if any. Now, if you're accredited, you don't have any limitations. You just got to meet some higher thresholds. So that's a household income of $300,000 or more with you and a spouse. And this is pre-tax, so gross. Or if you're single, if you have an individual income of $200,000 or more. Or you have net financial assets, which would be your stocks, your cash reserves, your registered accounts the accumulated value exceeding 1 million or a net worth exceeding 5 million. Now, your net worth would essentially be the value of your real estate holdings plus your financial assets, so your cash, your stocks, whatever you have liquid, minus your liabilities. And that would have to exceed 5 million. Now, again, with accredited, there's no limitations. You just got to meet some higher thresholds. Now, if you're not quite there, that's okay. Then there's eligible investors. As an eligible investor, you and your spouse can each invest $100,000 within a 12-month period. And the qualifications for that are follows. A single, we'll say annual salary exceeding $75,000 or a household income with you and a spouse exceeding $125,000 or a net worth exceeding 400000 Now, a lot of people, if you own your home within the GTA, we have some pretty high prices. So more often than not, if you do own your home, you have equity in it, you have a net worth greater than four hundred k. you and your spouse can each invest $100,000 within a 12-month span, subject to suitability. 
really meaning if you had 100K liquid, you want to want to put all your eggs in one basket because that's far too concentrated. So obviously, we always want to get the highest return possible, but you also have to specify it to your personal goals and what you're looking for because not one person's going to be the same. Now, if you're not quite there, then you're non-eligible, and that's if you don't meet any of the criteria. So an individual income less than 75K, household income less than 125K, or a net worth less than 400, you and your spouse can each invest $10,000 within a 12-month period. Now, this is the same premise for all private securities across Canada, whether it's private equity like Equiton or you know private lending where you have to qualify, you do have these stipulations. Now, that's obviously good to know for an investor. Let's say if you want to do 50,000 with Equiton and you're eligible, you only have 50,000 room within a 12-month period. So that's obviously good to know because you do want to diversify your portfolio, but you also want to know what your limitations are, if any, across all private securities. Great. That helps. Now, let's talk about, uh, we've figured out the minimum uh, dollar amount, um, or I guess the maximum dollar amount in this scenario. Specifically for Equiton and some projects, can you give an example of what's the minimum dollar amount required for your projects along with the minimum holding period that you were mentioning? No problem. So on the apartment fund, which is the pure play multifamily apartments, that has a $10,000 minimum and a three-year hold period, which is a soft hold. So essentially, when you invest with us, there's no fees or commissions. We don't have a front load or a back load. We have that hold period. So if you're investing $10,000, your returns are based on $10,000. All the fees and commissions are paid off by the trust. We just ask that you hold it for three years. Now, let's say, obviously, if life happens, you need access to your funds, you can pull out early, you just pay an early redemption fee, so we can essentially recoup that capital that we initially paid out, which again, is what's going to differ from us in the public market, where you have that instant liquidity versus with us, you do have that hold period. So $10,000 on the apartment fund, three-year hold period. On the income and development fund, that has a $5,000 minimum and a three-year hold period. Same premise, no fees or commissions only if you pull out early. On our standalone development, which is the Sandstones condo in the Cliffside neighborhood here in Toronto, that has a 25,000 minimum and a 5.33 year time horizon. So we launched it about three months ago. So from today's date, it's five years, 25,000. With development, it's a hard hold, no liquidity. So if you need to get your funds out after three years, we unfortunately can't provide it until the project's done, where with development, it carries the higher return, but also carries the higher risk in the sense that you can't access your funds until the project's done. Okay. And uh, for some of the projects that you have done recently, what are the kind of returns on annual basis? And you can split between dividend cash that people are receiving and also at the end of the term, how much is being received? Exactly. So with the two funds, what you're always going to get is anywhere from 6 to 7% cash flow annually, which is paid out each month. So within the apartment fund and the income and development fund, they are actually cash flowing. So on the 15th of each month, you get a cash distribution. Now, let's just use some easy round numbers. Let's say you invest $10,000, 6% cash flow each year, $600 or $50 a month. So that's your return. On the apartment fund, you realize appreciation of the buildings, meaning we have the buildings appraised each quarter. And based on those appraisals, 
that's going to determine our unit price. Now, the unit price is essentially like a stock. We just call it a unit here in the private sector. And when those buildings are, you know, reappraised and they come back at a higher value, the unit price will increase. So on the apartment fund, the unit price a year ago was $1,105. It's now $1,188. So the trailing return on that, if you would have invested a year ago, is 13.9%. 6% cash flow, then the remainder would be appreciation. So roughly 7.9%. So that's cash flow plus appreciation. With the income and development fund, same premise on cash flow, 6 to 7% each year, which is paid out each month on the 15th. But with the income and development fund, this is a little bit more scattered in how you get your payments, simply because you have access to development. Now, with development, it's not coming to fruition every day or every year, but in the year that it is completed, you get the cash flow on top of something called a special distribution which is a large lump sum payout from developments being completed and sold off that would go into that year of anywhere from 10, 15 or 20%, really depending on the sale of that uh, development. With the income and development, it's really a hybrid that's catered towards someone who wants access to development. But like I said before, there's no liquidity and you don't get cash flow within the duration of the project. So maybe you don't want to hold an investment for five years. Maybe you don't qualify for the 25,000 minimum. So now you gain access to development while still getting cash flow. So it's really a hybrid where you're essentially getting paid while you wait for these developments to be completed, where then you receive a special distribution. With the sandstones development, it's going to carry the highest return, but you essentially put your money in, you park it. Once the project's done, you would get the large lump sum payout and your return on investment is about 106.6%. So if you're putting in $25,000, your projected payout at the end of the project would be $51,500. With all the investments, you're able to use cash positions. You can use a corporation or registered accounts like your TFSA, your RSP, Lira, your RESP. So this is where you can obviously diversify your portfolio opposed to a mutual fund that might be yielding something that's like, you know, okay for a lot of people. But in the last two years, you've probably experienced a lot of volatility. Some people have lost funds here to date or even last year. So that's kind of the premise of the investments. You have the minimums, you have the hold period, and then obviously it's a way to diversify your portfolio opposed to public stocks or mutual funds where you experience that volatility. Okay. Now, in terms of your projects, uh, sounds like you have a couple going in here on in Ontario, and then you have said you had few in Edmonton going on as well. Throughout Canada, are there any other projects that you do, or is it just in these two provinces, Ontario and Alberta, that uh, you specialize in? Right now, I'm going to say up until about three or four months ago, we were only in Ontario. And that's being with us having strategic partnerships, especially with the property management, because obviously there's a lot of asset classes out there, like, you know, the multifamily or commercial that are available, but we do strict due diligence on all of our purchases. We usually run about a 10-year performa to obviously see what's the profitability like, but also what's the risk that needs to be mitigated. So we actually branched out into uh, the Alberta region about three months ago, really because it was at a low. Now within Edmonton, there's a lot of provincial jobs that are coming along with the change of government. So that's kind of riding the upswing. So a lot of the time when we bought those properties, we got them for a great price, but also the buildings there are newer. Now, when you're buying a multifamily, you obviously want to be cash flow positive, 
but you have to look at the building itself. So with these buildings, because they are new, lower cost, meaning your margins are higher. Within Ontario, we buy specific properties, whether it's a new build or a value add, where we can essentially go in there. Maybe it's being underutilized. It was owned by like a mom and pop shop that were okay with just the, you know, breaking even. Where now when we can go in there with turnover of tenants, we do value adds. So like stainless steel appliances, we add new floors, we fix some things, maybe where some space isn't being utilized, we can actually turn those into rentals. So we're increasing our cash flow, but that's also a strategy of it. It's almost like the Burr method. You buy like an undervalued asset, you put some work into it, you can increase your cash flow, but then also when you have it appraised again, it's going to come back at a higher value. So right now we're only in Ontario and Alberta. We're always looking to branch out, but if it doesn't meet our due diligence, we're never going to go into a project just because, hey, we bought another building. You need to ensure it's going to give you the returns you want and it meets your due diligence. So obviously as investors, you get those returns you're looking for. Okay. Makes sense. Now, in terms of evaluating the projects, uh, you just mentioned that you go through a detailed uh, pro forma for about 10 years. What other steps do you take in terms of evaluating these projects and doing the due diligence? Is there a team involved in it? What kind of research is done? And so on. That's a great question because for a lot of people, it's like, oh, this looks good on paper. Let's go and buy it. There's a lot more things that go into purchasing a property. So here at Equiton, we do everything in-house. So we have an acquisitions team. We also have a property management team. So the acquisition is going to go in there and essentially perform a SWOT or a pestle analysis where you're going to be looking at the environmental. What's the ground like underneath it? What's the infrastructure? Once that goes through, you look at what the rent is like. What's the building condition? Because then you can essentially see if it does need a value add. It doesn't mean you want to just go out there and buy like, you know, the undervalued because it might need a lot of work to go into it. So that's where you're going to run the performa. So mainly the environmental, the infrastructure, then you look at the metrics and the returns. How much do you need to put into the property? What's your cash flow like? Because for some of these properties, when you do buy them, they might not necessarily be cash flow positive at the beginning. You're more or less looking to put in that work. So down the road, you are cash flow positive. So that's the main thing with that, but then also location. Now, with these properties, you obviously want to see the demographics in the area, but the location does play a large factor. Are you close to transit? Are you close to, you know, shopping centers and food and all the things that you may need as a tenant? So this will all go into that. Once that's kind of covered, then we want to look at the hard facts of the 10-year performance to and see, okay, we got the environmental, we got the infrastructure, we got the location, what the metrics look like now. Once that's completed, then we can go into actually purchasing the property. And then we obviously want to get it for the right price. A lot of the times when we buy these properties, they might be owned by a mom and pop shop that are like, you know, uh, closer to retirement, or it might be owned by institutions like a pension fund or other companies like Equiton. So obviously you want to get it for the right price, but it needs to meet that performa because we want to get those returns. We don't want to just buy a property just because, right? So it needs to meet that due diligence needs to meet environmental, the infrastructure, then the performa, and then we can go ahead with the purchase. And then like I was saying before, we had a lot of them in Ontario. Now that we're branching out into Edmonton, we have the resources like the property managers or any contractors where stuff does go wrong as a landlord. You need to be able to fix that so you have happier tenants, you obtain them so your occupancy rates are higher, and that's the active management style that we have here. 
So really, that's where you're getting the benefits of the real estate without actually having to be a landlord because we do everything in-house. You directly benefit from our active management style, the cash flow these properties generate, along with appreciation or development projects as well, because everything is done in-house. Okay. Now, in terms of who can buy these shares, if you want to call it that, or unit prices, um, these investments can be done by residents only. Is that correct? Or say if somebody is on a work permit or there's a student who has $10,000 to invest right. and they invest in these projects as well? They can. So as long as you're registered in Canada for tax purposes, so even if like you have like your permanent residency card and you have a SIN number, then you qualify. The only people we cannot sell to are residents of the United States because of the SEC and their qualifications. We're not registered there. So we do have investors from Dubai, from Nigeria, from overseas. They do qualify as long as with a foreign investor, usually has to be a cash position because a lot of people from, say, Nigeria won't have an RRSP here. Now, for all the people living in Canada, if you're a student and you're just starting off, you have $10,000 liquid, you absolutely can invest. That's no problem as long as it's suitable for you, right? Because then that time horizon comes in. Like, do you want to hold an investment for three years? Is it five years? Is it 10? Is it only six months? If you're a person who wants to hold an investment for six months, we're simply not the product for you. So that's where the suitability aspect comes in. And like I said, the only people we can sell to are people that are residing in the United States. Okay, so let me get this straight. If somebody is, say, for example, I'm from India. So let's take that as an example. Uh, some of our followers are actually from India as well, right. because maybe in the future they're planning to come or what have you, but currently they are residing in India. They don't right. have any tax status in Canada as of right now. Are mm -hmm. they eligible to make an investment through your company? They can. The only thing you want to take into consideration is withholding tax, because obviously you do get payouts. So... <laughs> Each country is going to have their own stipulations with Canada on what that withholding tax looks like. So even if you do qualify, if the tax is a little bit high, will it really make sense? That's obviously one thing you'd want to look into with each person and each personal experience, depending where they are from. Okay, fair enough. Okay, sounds good. Now, uh, what are the steps of starting an investment with you? I know the RSP season is coming up in February. And people will be starting to make those investments and make those decisions. Uh, for home buyers, especially for first time home buyers, they typically pull out money from their RSPs uh, for their first home. Depending on the time horizon, could be three years or five years. Have you seen any first time home buyers putting funds through your company in their registered funds? So I do have clients who do rent right now, for example, looking to buy a home. But each time you do an investment within the private space, you do something called a KYC. That's know your client. So you get your name, your date of birth, your address, all your personal information. But then also, what are your goals? Are you looking for income? Are you looking for growth or a combination of both? And exactly like you said, what's your time horizon? Because let's say you're investing in the apartment fund. It has a three-year hold. If you're using an RRSP and you want to buy a house in two years, it's not necessarily suitable. So that's always going to be talked about before you go into an investment. Because at the end of the day, those two funds, like the apartment fund and the income and development fund, they're open-ended. They're always available. 
And you know, timing is everything with any investment, with anything in life. So that's always spoken to. And I do have students who have invested with an RRSP. They are in like their third year university. But I asked him, like, do you plan to buy a house in the next three years? What are your goals? What are you looking to do? He's like, no, I'm not trying to do that. I had this from a job that I was working at the bank while I was in school. I have these funds. aren't really doing anything in a mutual fund. So we understand that before going into an investment. So you always do the KYC. You need to personalize it to your personal goals. What's your time horizon? And it obviously has to make sense for you specifically. Okay, great. Now, what are the next steps? So if somebody is interested in uh, researching or getting to know more about what you have to offer, or they're ready to pull the trigger and invest a certain amount, right? What, what do they do? How can they get started? So essentially, they could reach out to me directly. Within our website, you have all the investment options, which will have the returns, the metrics. Once you're ready to actually make an investment, we complete that KYC. It's about a 20 to 25 minute phone call, getting your personal information. What's your salary? So on the KYC, you're going to be getting your personal information, but then also those qualifications. What's your net worth? What's your liabilities, et cetera? Then we do all the paperwork via DocuSign. And every time you make an investment, you get something called an offering memorandum, which is essentially your rights as an investor, but also the financials of the company from our audits from Grant Thornton. Once you have that, you see your rights, you see the metrics, the returns. We do the KYC. We obtain two pieces of photo ID to be kept on file. Once we obtain that, the fund you're looking to go into, the amount you're looking to allocate, and then what is your goals? Are you using an RRSP? Are you using a cash position? Then once that's done, we send out the paperwork via DocuSign for electronic signature. We do closings on the funds each Monday and on sandstones at the end of each month. With those two funds, one thing to mention is they're open-ended, they're always available. With a standalone development project, we raise a finite amount of capital. Once that's raised, the fund will be closed off. So with sandstones, we're raising about 38.75 million. We have about another 8 million to go. Once we reach the sufficient capital, then it will be closed off. Then once you understand that, all the paperwork signed via DocuSign, you would then get a link, which is an Equiton online portal to see your holdings, market value, and if you're in the funds, monthly distributions. That's okay. it. Great. That's that's pretty easy uh, process. And I have done in the past, uh, not through Equiton as of right now, but through other institutions, and it's not complicated at all. Yeah, exactly. Very easy. Yeah, it's very straightforward. One question I did have was, say, for example, in some years, your qualification changes. And what I mean by that is you are eligible right now, but for whatever reason, your household income goes down, uh, one of the partners loses job or is on maternity leave and you become non-eligible at that time. Uh, What are the implications of that, that we know that it's temporary, but due to life situations, things have happened and the qualification period has changed, the qualification explanation has, or the criteria has changed. So does it that need to be disclosed or how how is that? So let's say hypothetically you're eligible and you invest $50,000 in 2021. Then last year you wanted to make another investment of say $50,000. Each time you do a subsequent investment, you complete the KYC again, just to ensure that your financials are the same has changed. 
Now, let's say if you've lost your job, you're on um, uh, the maternity leave, whatever it is, then at that point, when you do the KYC, you might now be non-eligible. So then you are literally bound to those new stipulations of only $10,000. So it's not like you do the KYC once, and then if you want to make another investment in three months, it's the same. Things change, right? So you always want to redo that KYC each time you do an investment. And if you happen to fall off, then you'd be within that new category. So that's always going to be disclosed. Yes. And uh, another thing that I wanted to mention that KYC is a very important tool that's used because we are basically recommending you or presenting you the right opportunity, something that's not suitable to you. We would want to stay, you know, if your risk appetite isn't there or mm -hmm. we know that that time horizon doesn't matches, then it's best that you do not invest at that point. You hold off and uh, you can make a wise decision accordingly. So uh, being transparent and keeping your KYC updated is pretty crucial. Exactly, exactly. And honestly, a lot of time, like I had a client, for example, two weeks ago, he got an inheritance of about $300,000. He's not quite on the eligible category, but he wanted to invest in the sandstones. He's non-eligible, so it's 10000 So I had to tell him, we unfortunately can't accept this investment. He's like, why don't you want to take my money? Like, you know, I want to give it to you. But at the end of the day, the first thing first is that it's suitable for you and you're looking ahead to obviously mitigate those potential risks. Like if you did lose your job or something happened in your life, because we obviously all want to get the highest return. But if it's not suitable for you specifically, we can't go ahead with an investment. So that's always one thing to make sure that it's right for you. Absolutely. Now, while we are kind of wrapping up here, any final thoughts that you'd like to share? Anything that you had missed? Or actually, I have a question that has just come up to me. Yep. Uh, what are some of the risks involved? Have you seen that any of your projects have actually lost money or uh, has been status quo after three years of being invested? Right. So since inception, we've never had a negative month. So we've never lost investor capital. The main thing with us is liquidity in that hold period, as well as qualifications. You could essentially have $20,000 and go put it all on a Twitter stock no one's going to tell you any different. With the public market, you can obviously make a lot of money if you time it right. If you don't time it right, you can withstand to lose a lot of money. So it's really like a roller coaster. Depends when you get on, depends when you get off. With us, it's really the hold period as well as qualifications where I said, if you're a person who's like, hey, I have 20 grand, I want to hold an investment for six months, we're not the product for you. So that's the main thing. We've never had a negative month, but you do have that hold period that you're taking away your instant liquidity. So when you're doing that KYC, you obviously want to be sure, okay, you can hold this investment for three years. If it's less than that, it's really not the right time for you. Maybe down the road, but if it's six months, that's your time horizon, it's not the product for you. That's what you really have to understand with these investments. Okay. And after three years, once the uh, time has lapsed, uh, does it go through another round of three years or it becomes month to month after that? Once you meet that three-year threshold, you can essentially do whatever you want. It's not like a GIC where it's going to mature and at three years you have to pull out. You can hypothetically keep it invested for five, 10, or three years in one day. Once you meet that threshold, that's completely fine. You're free to do with whatever you like with your investment once you meet that threshold. Okay, sounds good. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm sure this was my final question. Yep. <laughs> so if you'd One like to... thing I'd like to mention is this is obviously good for people if you want to do a TFSA or an RSP. 
because we are a private company, you cannot hold these type of securities in your top five banks like CIBC, TD. They only offer public stocks and mutual funds they charge a commission on. So if you did want to use a registered account, you'd have to go to our custodian, which is Olympia Trust. And Olympia Trust is the company across Canada where you're able to hold private securities via registered accounts. With Olympia, they do have an annual fee of 150 plus tax, as well as a transaction fee of $75 plus tax. So if you're using a registered account, you obviously want to make sense of those fees. And a lot of the time, these investments are more catered to larger lump sums, opposed to a mutual fund where you're putting in $100 biweekly because you'll have a transaction fee. So we always disclose that and obviously advise clients, will this make sense to make sense of those fees? That's the only stipulation. If you use cash investments or uh, the corporation, there's no fees. You deal directly with Equiton. That's obviously one thing I want to tell clients, because if you want to invest, say, $5,000 via your RRSP, your yield on that each year for cash flow is roughly $300. After fees, you're only going to be netting about $50 to $60. So that's obviously one thing you want to know to make sense of those fees using a registered account. Fair enough. Great. Well, thank you so much, Nicholas, for your time today. Um, how can people reach out to you? Is there an email? And obviously that will be on the show notes as well. Uh, yeah, exactly. So I have my email and then I can also provide you a link with a book of meeting. It's actually uh, the access to my personal uh, calendar. And then from there, they can reach out to me. If they ever make an investment, then I'm always the main point of contact. So I'm your advisor, essentially. If you want to reach out via phone, email or text, I'm always here to help. On our website, you can also go to my profile and you can book a meeting there or have my direct contact as well. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Nicholas. I really appreciate it. Have a great day. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. So there you go, my friends. Hope this episode gave you an insight about how you can diversify in real estate using your registered funds. Once again, if you'd like to know more about various opportunities for growing your wealth through registered funds, please reach out to me at supriyamheramortgages at gmail.com and I will connect you directly with Nicholas and his team. That's all for today. I hope you have a fantastic day and we shall connect soon. Take care. Take care.